From 1980 to 2022, the U.S. averaged eight weather or climate disasters annually, where the overall damages exceeded $1 billion. In the last five years, that annual average went from eight a year to 18 a year. In 2023, just this year, we've had 15 events just through August 8th. This is a hockey stick of data. This is going up and it's going up quickly. We also can't let our guard down before the next storm. What are we doing in the downtime? What are we doing in the interim? How are we reinforcing our houses? How are we building a better claims process? The thing about Louisiana and the, and the tech scene here and the innovation scene here and the entrepreneurship scene here is that I think people really have their feet on the ground, right? They're looking for real solutions that make a real difference and something that they can feel in the short term and something that has tangible value. The Build SOS is coming from Louisiana. It's for Louisiana. It's for the Gulf Coast. Um, and of course, we have our sights set on this model more broadly nationally uh, and also internationally as well. Welcome to the Blue Economy Primer, a New Orleans-based podcast where you learn from the experts, the practical tools and solution sets that will empower your community to adapt and thrive in a new blue era of rising seas and economic discontinuity. Today's guest is Andy Kruger, CEO of Build SOS. Build SOS is a key new technology networking platform that is facilitating better communication and more efficient resolution of post-disaster recovery efforts. Andy is a serial entrepreneur and experienced executive with a proven track record of building, rebuilding, and improving organizations. He holds an MBA in management and a master's of science in organizational leadership and is the author of a book on leadership. Andy, thank you so much for joining us on the Blue Economy Primer. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience, please? Hi, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm Andy Kruger. Uh, I'm the CEO of Build SOS. To start with, can you tell us a little bit more about your life journey and what brought you to your current work? I understand that you and your family are currently living in Portugal and that you just rode your motorbike across the country from Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that was a, a bucket list item I've been meaning to do for a long time and had an opportunity. I was uh, out in a retreat in Santa Cruz. Uh, in the mountains there, and um, had an opportunity to to pick up a bike in Sonoma and take it down here to New Orleans, uh, where we do most of our work. So it was a, the right opportunity at the right time and a, a good opportunity to think across all those miles of desert. But yeah, more broadly, uh, in my background, it's been a little bit of a twisting, turning journey to get to where I am today. But this is one of those uh, situations where uh, the background that I have has come to be um, more and more useful in the work that we're doing today. So my background uh, has always been a bit of a duality, uh, and that duality is between the business side of things and the people side of things. So when I was in college, it was a double major in economics and anthropology. For a while, it was uh, leaning towards cultural anthropology, archaeology. Um, people have always fascinated me, but also business systems. So the way that manifested going forward was an MBA to learn how uh, the mechanics of business works, some time spent management consulting, uh, both for a boutique firm and then also with my own little firm. And then after that, uh, what I found out when I was working with my clients is that it's very easy to, as a consultant, to pass over a book or a binder of solutions and say, here, just do all these and you'll be fine. But uh, that's a very, to me, over time, that appeared to be a, an approach that, that lacked uh, thoroughness. Because when I went back and checked on my clients later, I'd find that 
that book was on the shelf getting dusty. So over time, it, uh, it appeared to me that actually it was the people side of things that really made everything work. So it's the, it was the community side, it was the motivation, it was really the individual people coming together in a structured way to implement those strategies. Yes, the strategies are important, but it's the people, boots on the ground, that are actually going to make the change at the end of the day. So I went back to school for a master's in leadership uh, over in Belgium and um, had an opportunity to, uh, to uh, write a book at that point about that. And, and that book was specifically about taking the rather academic uh, studies of leadership that I had, these massive tomes about uh, how uh, leadership works. And uh, I think the biggest one is the base book of leadership, which looks like it must be like uh, 700 pages of thick academic findings. You know, and that's a lot for, to ask somebody to go through, uh, especially if they're not day-to-day -day, uh, in academics. So what I did at the time was I took those lessons and I brought them into more of a, a real-world application, into smaller, short chapters, uh, and then put that book out. And honestly, I would use that book as a, kind of a calling card, a business card in my consulting. Uh, so I would go in, talk about these principles, leave a book, uh, and then that would result in uh, some really good conversations, uh, good consulting engagements, and honestly, some lifelong friends. And then what brought you to Louisiana? No, that was, uh, I was up in Vermont. So I've lived in about 17 different places um, in the States and overseas. So I grew up in the Northeast in Cape Cod, and then um, went to school in upstate New York. And uh, from there, I was a high school teacher in St. Louis, Missouri at a, at a boarding school, math and science teacher which I think everybody needs to have an opportunity to do that, especially right out of college. Uh, it's kind of a trial by fire. So um, from there, I uh, bounced around a bit. I went to uh, Vermont. I went to Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and so when I was in Vermont, I knew I wanted to go to business school. And what had happened was uh, back at the time when you took the, the test online, it was the GMAT, there was this little tiny box at the bottom that said, do you want to send your scores? out to anybody who wants to see them. And after this exhausting test, I was like, yeah, sure. I clicked off the box. And then Tulane reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to come down here to New Orleans? We'll make it worth your while. And uh, sure, I'll come to New Orleans. So I closed up my life in Vermont, moved down to New Orleans, and uh, was down here. Interestingly enough, I was down here for uh, Hurricane Katrina. So that was also one of those defining points um, in the journey towards Build SOS. Uh, and to this work. Great. So can you tell us a little bit more about Build SOS, your company mission, and how you and your team are engaging with local communities? Absolutely. So, um, so Build SOS has two points of, uh, two points of, of uh, genesis, I would say. The first one, I was down here uh, for a while working with some organizations and um, back in 2008 or so. And one of the the things that came out, I was working with a, a construction company, and one of the uh, issues that came up was in the construction community, uh, there were there was an awareness that following a storm, whether it's a large storm like Katrina or some of these smaller storms that come through, that there's really a, a lot of opportunity for fraud and a lot of people who are taking advantage of the fraud. Um, they may call themselves contractors. They may you know have a pickup truck and some tools. Um, and some of them may actually have um, bigger companies. But really what this is, is um, when you have a storm and you have vulnerable communities, you have vulnerable homeowners who have damage to their houses, 
there are a lot of people coming around afterwards knocking on doors. Hey, I see you're, you're in an area that sustained damage, or you look at your roof, I see it's a little bit wavy, I can help you. Or some of these houses have trees through them, I mean, really large amounts of damage, and they need quick repairs, or at least as quick as possible. So then the, the pitch is, I'll put you to the top of my list. So there's a lot of uh, need out there for contractors, but don't worry, I'll come back next week. I just need a deposit. And these people will come and um, fraudulently take deposits and then go back to wherever they came from and, you know, never be seen again. So originally the idea, uh, Build SOS before it was called Build SOS, started with the idea of a contractor ID. Card your contractor was the idea. So this is still a central element to Build SOS. And the idea is that we could make a simple tech solution, a simple ID that would authenticate uh, these contractors and so and be coupled with a public service announcement in the communities through the parishes, through the local government, uh, through the radio stations. When a storm's in the Gulf and shortly afterwards, this message, card your contractor, card your contractor. And so what that does is it allows the homeowners to have at least that much more measure of comfort in knowing that these people coming up to their door have the bare minimum to be in business and to be trusted. Now, we're not there. We're not Angie's List. We're not there to guarantee the quality of the work. Um, but what we are there to do is have a threshold where the homeowner can feel comfortable knowing that that contractor is licensed. Uh, the contractor is, um, has workman's comp and also that they have general liability. So those are you know, it's not the highest bar. That should be the way that it is. Unfortunately, that it's not. Um, so that was where Build SOS started. And then in the 2016 floods, that's when it really got uh, re rebranded and reinvigorated. Uh, unfortunately, that reinvigoration came from the destruction in the floods. So in the 2016 floods, um, you're looking at a whole lot of damage. Um, for instance, the Livingston Parish took the biggest impact. So in Livingston, Livingston Parish, it estimated 74% of the housing units sustained flood damage. So we're looking at 38,000 um, residential homes and units, you know, condos, places where people were living uh, were impacted, right? Some damage is, is lighter, some damage is heavier. Um, but overall, that storm uh, in 2016 resulted in over 109,000 residential units across the parishes being impacted. So that was uh, a, a way that the communities unfortunately felt the effects of of not only those fraudulent actors but also more broadly the effect of the gaps in the existing uh system and i say that loosely system uh broad base of practices in place for community resilience and for disaster response at the time and for disaster recovery so that's really where build sos uh, reformed itself and said, this is more than just about contractor fraud. I mean, that remains a central pillar, but really this is about bringing constituents together uh, in the community, these stakeholder groups that in themselves are participating in community resilience in, in making our communities more able to withstand these increasing weather events, um, but also in uh, responding to the disasters, being the boots on the ground at the time, uh, to to help the the homeowners get back in, to rebuild, to bring the businesses back, to bring the tax base back, right? Th those whole network. So those stakeholder groups 
um, that we identified are the homeowners themselves, of course. It starts there. Contractors and subcontractors. Uh, manufacturers, professionals, and vendors. So these are like suppliers, for instance, who are creating the products um, that are put into our houses to make them more resilient or creating the, the products that um, are being used to, to rebuild uh, in response to a disaster. You have nonprofits, right? Because whenever you have a, a large event like this, there are all these amazing nonprofits uh, that come in and help. Some of them are national. Some of them are local, like the, the Cajun Navy. Right, you have amazing response from the nonprofits, but they are absolutely players in this field. Uh, and then you have um, the government, right, uh, as participants too there in this whole uh, in this whole ecosystem. And what we wanted to do with this uh, these stakeholder groups is really to not only recognize the good work that they're doing within their silos, I'll call them, because there is a lot of good work being done um, and increasingly good work too, because unfortunately, everybody's feeling the, the pain uh, more and more from these storms uh, and they're happening more and more frequently, but also to be honest and to recognize the gaps between them. So the model that we have at Build SOS, uh, it, it seeks to bring together those stakeholders in a way where they can not only pull out the best of each other's work practices, right, and recognize what they are and share them, but also call out honestly the gaps. Um, sometimes there are gaps within the silo, uh, systems that aren't working right, or workflows that are, uh, you know, that have areas for improvement. But also, more importantly, there are gaps between these groups. So. What happens prior to a storm when you're talking about community resilience is you're talking about all of these constituents taking action in and of themselves and in their groups to prepare for the next storm. So let's take a look at homeowners. Homeowners, you know, you might not think about it too much before storms in the Gulf or before it's hurricane season down here, but you may have been through it enough to know, well, I want to make sure, of course, my insurance policy is up to date. Um, I want to take pictures of the contents inside my house, right? Um, I want to make sure that I've uh, got my, my meds taken care of, uh, stocked up. I want to make sure that, you know, if, if a storm hits the Gulf, I've got an evacuation plan. So there are things that, that these groups do, right? Insurance companies have their own practices. And of course, governments have their disaster planning as well and, and so on. So what happens is this good work is being done in the silos. But then when a disaster hits, the workflows, the actual, uh, the actions that need to be done go across, horizontally across those constituents. Now it's no longer the constituents acting in a, in a vacuum in their own silo. It's forced, and it should be, but it is uh, a, a, a situation where these constituents have to work with each other to overcome uh, the, you know, through the storm and to respond and to get themselves back on their feet. And this is something as simple as the claims process, right, for insurance companies. So the claims process involves uh, the insurance companies themselves, of course, the homeowners. It also involves the, the contractors who are going to be rebuilding the house. Um, so it may involve other governmental policies and programs. Uh, after a storm, you have, again, you have all of these workflows that go across. 
And so what Build SOS is doing really is focusing on acknowledging and talking about and improving through technology those workflows that run across the silos. So what we have at the end of the day, what this platform is, is uh, it's an ecosystem of solutions. They could be uh, apps that we're creating. So we have some apps under development now uh, to help with the, the fortified building process, right? Which is heavily, uh, there's some grants in place now in Louisiana. Alabama's doing a lot of great work. Uh, the, the fortified housing is uh, something that's, that's being recognized as a great way to make more resilient communities. So we have some technology under development to help support that process and help get to the end goal of, of uh, stronger houses. But then also, Build SOS is a tech platform, right? So we are a platform that's uh, built in the back end with the same technology uh, and, and the same uh, vendor, honestly, who built the Louisiana uh, the document management system, the electronic document management system, when Louisiana went, the court system went from paper to document management. So this is, this is where um, your, court, your case is being handled and you're going to get a, you know, a, a text that says, here, you have to show up at this date. Um, this is the, the situation that allows uh, this, the dissemination and sharing of information about if there's something that, uh, that somebody did in one parish and they have you know, uh, a warrant against them, for instance, that that's more easily visible in another parish, whereas it's not in a paper somewhere. Um, so what we're doing is we're building on top of that platform using the same technology. And the reason why we responded so, so much to, to this approach to technology is that, again, it's bringing disparate uh, systems together. And I think one of the most important things to recognize about the Build SOS tech solution is that when you deal with multiple constituents, you're dealing with multiple systems, right? If you think about all those groups that I just talked about. So some are more advanced, some are not. Even if you have the same uh, brand name system that's, uh, that's in use in the government here and that's used over here in the insurance industry, the way that it's deployed over time, the way that it's um, built in culturally to that, that business or that government entity is different. So what's important there is that we're recognizing that we're not out to change other people's systems. Those systems that are in place in terms of the, the, the tech systems on the back end, our solution meets them where they are. So rather than asking those constituents to change, I mean, change management is, goes back to the people aspect of things, right? Change is hard. People are, you know, are used to their certain ways, and it takes a lot to train them and do something else. So what our platform does on the back end is it integrates the key aspects of the data, the workflows um, across these constituents, and sits in between and acts as a... Um, a place where that data gets to where it needs to go for highest and best use, not only for resilience, um, but for response and recovery when the timing is so important. So what is the typical interface or entry point for a homeowner or contractor interfacing with the Build SOS platform? Yeah, that's a good question. So we do have an app. Um, we have, uh, as I said, we have uh, something that's going to be coming out that is a, a product for builders uh, and evaluators and homeowners and the government specifically around Fortified as well. 
And so um, typically, I'd say the way that people are going to be interacting with Build SOS, <clears throat> we are interested in in getting out there and branding in terms of the importance of community resilience, the importance of bringing communities together. But a lot of the work that we're doing is really, I want to say, from the servant leadership perspective. So we're behind the scenes working with these constituents. Um, and this is something that I want to talk about as well, uh, because we've just gone through recently a, a pretty uh, significant strategic shift in how we're going about our work. So um, on the back end, we have this platform. Uh, we have our partners. Uh, we're partnered with Home Depot, for instance. Uh, they recognize the importance of our work, and they're heavily involved with uh, disasters. Even though you don't see their branding out there uh, after a disaster, which I think is in great taste to not have your uh, Home Depot branding splashed all over everything, they are absolutely present and absolutely, uh, you know, it, helping out communities in this area. <clears throat> so what we have is. Um, we have the these conversations on the back end, and this is a lot of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, with each of those constituents. We're, we're meeting with local leadership. We're meeting with manufacturers and suppliers. Um, we're meeting with the insurance industry, right? We have a, an exciting pilot going on with the insurance industry now. And, you know, we're meeting with the homeowners and day-to-day and -day contractors, right? And this uh, recent shift is... I had this epiphany. This was actually on the motorcycle ride. This is the benefit of riding through 800 miles of desert um, and not being able to look at your phone and not being able to uh, listen to music or a podcast is you really get to think. And it's interesting what comes up. And so all of a sudden I was going across, I think it was, oh, it must have been in, in New Mexico, just miles of nothing in every direction. And, and my mind was relatively quiet. And all of a sudden I thought, wait a second. If Build SOS is about bringing communities together, then why are we not bringing them physically together for conversations? Uh, a lot of the work that I did in the past, I worked at University of California, San Francisco for uh, 10 and a half years in, um, in project management. A lot of that was standing in front of groups, right? Up at the whiteboard, facilitating conversations, uh, lean workflow mapping, really bringing systems together. And these were clinical systems at the time that I was working with. And, and back-end administrative systems in healthcare. But the principle is the same. It's taking individuals and their day-to-day -day experiences and in a very methodical way, mapping them out, having everybody observe what everybody else's experience is, in a, not only in a conversational way, but for the, the visual learners, it's up on these post-it notes on the wall, right? So at the end of these uh, workshops, at the end of the day, you just, you know, you're in a room surrounded by post-it notes. So the epiphany was, and the strategic shift, uh, is that we are going to be starting a series of workshops. And these workshops are going to be um, assembling teams of two to three uh, people who are, are working in each constituent group. So two to three homeowners who have gone through these storms who have had the, these horrible experiences of losing, you know, pieces of their house and having to rebuild them and, you know, the, the months and sometimes years that it takes. Um, and then folks from the insurance industry who want to make a difference, who want to participate in this. Um, folks from local government who, at, at every level, who want to see uh, increased community resilience action, right? Um, so the idea is that you bring all of these groups together, and it's a group of about 20 people, and it's facilitated, 
kind of focused discussion uh, through one piece of the disaster uh, preparedness and response plan. So you can call it like a 10-step action plan. For instance, step one might be, what do you do when there's a storm in the Gulf, right? And so that would be from when it's first noticed all the way through to it's just about to hit, right? And we're in the cone and we're in the, we're in the path. So that would be facilitated discussion to say, okay, with each of these groups, homeowners, what do you do? What's going through your head? What are your, what are your actions? What are your thoughts? What are your, what are your pain points, right? Let's map those out. Uh, insurance industry, what do you do, right? Are you activating certain resources? Are you um, looking at certain data? Are you, you know, uh, looking at your portfolio of, of who you have covered in that area? Um, contractors, what are you doing? Are you trying to wrap up the, the work you have now? Are you trying to reach out to your clients and say, I'm here for you if I need you afterwards? So every, all of these groups have action uh, items that they're either they've planned ahead of time or it's a visceral response at the time what they're doing. So the idea is there, right now there isn't a lot of cross-pollination between, with one of these groups really understanding what the other groups are going through. And so Build SOS, what we're doing is we're bringing them all together in a, in a very simple way, you know, like a one-day workshop, maybe six, seven hours, where these groups get to understand and dig into this experience uh, of this phase of disaster uh, planning or response and then see not only what are their pain points, but where are the areas where they're interacting with the other constituent groups. So what do you see coming out of these workshops? At the end of the day, what comes out of this is opportunities for cross-collaboration. There might be these aha moments where you have you know, the, the Home Depot, for instance, might be sitting there, a representative, and listening to something from, from the government, uh, walking through their pain points. And they might say, hey, you know, we have a program. We can support you in this. I can connect these dots, and there's funding for it over here. And out of that spawns maybe a low-hanging fruit solution. They just weren't aware that this existed, right? So some of the solutions are going to be, these are all projects. They all need to be, you know, uh, managed, and they all need to be uh, you know, implemented in a way where we make, we make sure that it's, it's sticking. Um, but some of them are easy. And then some of them are going to be really big, complicated projects, multiple stakeholders, uh, revamping a, a process. And that's where our technology comes into play. So that's where the Build SOS platform is important because it is one of the major tools in our toolbox to collaborate uh, for these solutions. And so this goes back, this is a long way of answering your question, how do people interact with the system? It will be through that. So it'll be through this back-end um, collaboration platform in Build SOS. I want to remind our listeners that on the episode webpage, we'll have lots of information about some of the references that Andy's making, including obviously links to the Build SOS platform, as well as information about any upcoming workshops that people can participate in. So Andy, can you share with us any particular facts or statistics or surprising concepts related to how communities in the built environment are navigating the impacts of severe weather caused by the climate crisis in the region? So I'll answer that both in a qualitative and a quantitative way. I think qualitatively, what surprises me, and I think surprises a lot of folks if they think about it, is we keep on doing the same things over and over again, right? There may be incremental improvements here and there. 
but the the magnitude of the complexity of of the disaster hitting a community i mean it just affects so many areas right so many workflows so many policies uh so many habits and it's a big ask to to say or a big goal to say we're going to change this um but at the same time if we have these these storms hitting more and more frequently we can't keep on doing the same things over and over again right we can't keep on building back to the same standards that just got blown away because it's not as if these storms are going to get any less severe right we need better standards we need uh you know upgrade and so you're seeing this in louisiana there's a lot of good work being done to up uh the the, the need for these these standards and the and the support for stronger housing so that's i think what surprises me uh in a way is that we really keep on falling back into the same habits um, and the same procedures, and we, and we need to do better. And from a quantitative point of view, you know, I, I'm talking about how frequently these storms happen, and I think everybody who watches the news gets a sense of this, right? Um, not only do you have, um, you have increased storms in areas that see storms anyhow, like southeast, but also now I came, uh, when I was coming back in here the other day, there are all these signs up on the highways, um, respect the burn ban, right? Uh, don't, don't light fires. And I'm, I spent 10 years in California. I'm used to seeing signs that say, be careful with wildfires. It's dry season, extreme fire danger, but not in Louisiana. Louisiana is generally pretty damp. And in fact, when I came in the other day, I was the first time in the entire 2,400 miles, I was greeted with a thunderstorm and I thought, all right, I'm back in Louisiana. But, um, so I was surprised to see that now there are wildfires here we have to worry about. You know, the wildfires in Maui, which has happened tragically in Lahaina, I mean, you have, you have this happening more and more frequently. And, and um, one of the statistics that shocks me is from 1980 to 2022, the U.S. averaged eight weather or climate disasters annually, where the overall damages exceeded $1 billion. So on average, 80 year, right, where the, the damages are going to be $1 billion or more. In the last five years, that annual average went from eight a year to 18 a year. That's drastic in the last five years. And then if, it, if you want to even get more on the edge of your seat, in 2023, just this year, we've had 15 events just through August 8th. So, I mean, this is, this is a hockey stick here of data. This is going up and it's going up quickly. So this is why it's so important to bring the community together, to focus on community resilience, uh, and really to focus on taking action before the storm, right? I think this is the other thing that, that makes Build SOS a little bit different with its mission. Um, you know, as I was saying, there are a lot of different constituents working on what do we do when a storm hits? What do we do afterwards? We absolutely need that. But we also can't let our guard down before the next storm, right? What are we doing in the downtime? What are we doing in the interim? How are we reinforcing our houses? How are we building a better claims process? For insurance industry around this, right? How are we getting the the um, products that these manufacturers are building, and they are building these products that are more and more suited to uh, withstanding if they're installed the right way, uh, withstanding these storms? How are we getting those out to be found in the public? I mean, if you, so Greg, if you in your house decide that you want to make it more resilient for the next storm and you want to upgrade your windows to be windows that can, you know, withstand, I don't know, 150 miles an hour wind or some, some threshold, 
how are you going to find those? Are you going to get on Google and try to find it? it? It's hard to do to find the stats, right, of what's actually, and to find the, the methodology to install it, right? Then you hire a contractor and say, I, this is my goal. I want to upgrade my windows. Well, then they're either going to have to use some of your research or they're going to have to dig in and try to find, and then they're going to have to figure out how to install them in a way that actually makes a difference, right? So there should be an easier process for manufacturers to bring those products to market, to streamline those. Those should be subsidized by the government, right? Um, or at least they should be put in a, in a, a, a position where they are built in to the, the specs for this, uh, you know, for more robust housing so that we don't have to constantly do a la carte, right? We can just, uh, the homeowner can say, I want this level, this grade of build or this grade of retrofit and all that is specced in in a way that the contractor can build an estimate and say, hey, I, I want this level. Get, show me all the products out there on the market who are, that are going to hit this level. And that's something that we're doing on the back end too. Um, build SOS with our estimating software uh, on the back end is building out the capability to have those manufacturers with those SKUs for those products be available for the contractor to choose at their fingertips. So you have a little toggle on and off. It says, show me only the products that work for this. That's another way that Build SOS is bringing these ideas to the market. And it's another way that people are going to interact with our system. So for a little bit of context, what does the blue economy mean to you? And how do you see community resilience tools and platforms like Build SOS supporting that type of economic activity? Well, for me, the blue economy, again, it all comes down to community resilience, right? So Southeast uh, Louisiana and Gulf Coast in general, we have so many, uh, so many weather events, and it's just present in, in our minds all the time. Um, and so for me, the blue economy, uh, it is the, the intersection, of course, of, course of, the, of the coast and of the ecosystems around the coast, of, of the coexisting around water and around the changes that are happening with water, um, with you know, the, the increased uh, you know, uh, temperatures and our relationship with not only uh, the coastal water, but also our relationship with water coming from the sky, right? So this is all, for when I think about blue, I think about water, of course. And so I think about our interaction with that. And, you know, the other thing that shocked me, that just happened the other day, uh, is this salt wedge, right? This uh, salt water wedge that's coming up the Mississippi and is going to hit Louisiana, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, in the next week or so. And the scramble, the emergency declaration and the funds available and, and you know, where in my day-to-day -day work, I'm, I'm working with a lot of very smart, creative uh, people in the building industry. So engineers, architects, builders, and I've seen this explosion of creativity. How are we going to go about this? What does it mean? Where, the salt is heavier, so we need to grab from this area and all this solutioning, all this amazing stuff. And, and that's wonderful. But again, we're responding, right? This is happening. I'm wondering who, and I don't even know where this would be, but is there an entity out there that maybe could have seen with a little more prediction that when you have less rainfall in parts of the the Midwest, I mean, that's that didn't happen overnight, right? That's been a trend for a little while, that the Mississippi River volume is going to fall and that that falling volume is going to reduce the amount of outwash, right? And then have this intrusion of salt water. And hey, that means that the uh, 
um, the infrastructure for the water, our, our water system is going to be impacted, and then you might have this heavy metal leaching, and you might have impact. To the, so again, this shows how everything comes together in a, in a way that impacts our lives immediately. And of course, we need to respond to it. But what if we had been talking about this in a work group six months ago, right? Might we have been a little bit more prepared with solutions? So that's what I think about blue economy. I think about um, floating architecture, right? How are we going to respond to? And, and it's not all about fighting the change. I think a lot of this is adapting change because there's no fighting Mother Nature. I mean, this, this is happening and we can take mitigating uh, longer term solutions. But I think in the near term, it's adaptation, right? If you're going to build your house, build it in a certain way. Um, that's more resilient. Um, what happens from an insurance perspective when homes that might be, you know, out of 10 to 15% more expensive to build are now a fraction of the cost to mitigate and to repair? And that's even if they're damaged, right? So you have much less damage, you have much less mitigation. Um, and when you do have the mitigation, it's, it's cheaper. Take that and multiply that out by the hundreds of thousands of homes. Imagine I had mentioned the 109,000 homes that were impacted in the 2016 floods. Imagine if those 109,000 homes, if, I don't know, 10% of them, 30% of them were built to these standards. Well, what would that mean from an insurance perspective? How would that change the, the, the ultimate payout, the damage? And if it did lower the amount of, of risk, financial risk for insurers, what does that mean for other policyholders? I mean, you're your policy went way up, right? And we're all collectively paying the cost to, to live with these standards that are, are not up to par yet. But if you start changing that paradigm and invest in it, then maybe there's more of an opportunity to hit an inflection point where the insurance companies say, here's the way we can stay in Louisiana. Here's the way we can come back to Louisiana, right? So that it impacts government, that impacts policy. It's all, you know, it's all related. Right. So how do you see Louisiana's future and our ability to weather the climate crisis and related storm damage issues? I mentioned I'm not from Louisiana, so uh, and that I've, I've lived in a lot of different places. And after having, even though currently I live over in, in Portugal, um, there's something about Louisiana. There's a reason why I work here, and there's a reason why I came back here to Louisiana. There is, there's an ingenuity that's here uh, that I really don't see too many other places. And when I say ingenuity, I'm not talking about people in a room having lofty ideas. Uh, I'm talking about people, day-to-day -day people with amazingly creative solutions, working out of their garages, working out of the back of their pickup trucks, uh, just their day-to-day -day interactions. You know, um, I was out in the Bay Area for a while, and so you're exposed to a lot of amazing thinkers, right? Uh, all the, the innovators that come to the area because it's, it's so supportive um, of creative thought. And I think that that's really important, uh, of course, in, and this is only my personal perspective, but a lot of those ideas, in, in my perspective, are still a couple of levels removed from reality, or like they're, they're big and audacious, and what if we do that? But it's like, you know, it's 10 steps ahead. And the ones that hit, that's great, right? But the thing about Louisiana and the, and the tech scene here and the innovation scene here and the entrepreneurship scene here is that I think people really have their feet on the ground. 
right? They're looking for real solutions that make a real difference and something that they can feel in the short term and something that has a tangible value. So when I talk about um, tangible value, I'm talking about the actual value of like the way we used to value businesses uh, and not necessarily about the amount of data that you have in your servers, the amount of users that you have using your system, sending whatever back and forth to each other. I'm talking about value of the creation of a product or a, a system that is helping people every day in a tangible way. And so that's why I'm excited that, um, that Build SOS is coming from Louisiana. It's for Louisiana. It's for the Gulf Coast. Um, and of course, we have our sights set on this model more broadly nationally uh, and also internationally as well. So what do you think might accelerate the critical deployment of climate tech or other tech solutions like Build SOS for coastal communities and small island states? Take a day, a month, right, out of your time and come join one of these work groups and sit down with us and sit down with the rest of your community, right? Uh, and let's have real solutions. Let's come up with real scoped, tangible project, projects that we can do together and let's find funding for them. The other thing is there are pockets of funding for this stuck in places, right? And uh, some of them have requirements that, that may align directly with what we're doing. Uh, some of them are more broad and, and, and will support it. So I would say, yeah, funding is one thing. Taking the time to, uh, to come and attend these and participate in the process. And I'd say the third action item or request that I would, would make from the community is, be open to the fact that you may not have the full solution, right? That solutions lie in the coming together of all the people affected by a problem. And that your solution may be wonderful, and it, 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 but in and of itself, it may not provide all the value it could if you don't take it and bring it to the community and in a very methodical, meaningful, purposeful way, implement it with all those constituents, right? Don't hold on so tightly to try to find a solution yourself. Maybe let go a little bit of, the, of that feeling of ownership uh, and, and lean a little bit more into the feeling of community mission. Right? That's what I would ask of them. So Andy, what's next for you and for your work at Build SOS? What are you particularly excited about? Well, what I'm most excited about is uh, this new model with Build SOS. It, 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 I'm most excited in that it flips the tables on as I was just saying on, on ownership, right? So if we come up with a new, uh, if I meet somebody new in, in all the, the, the work and the, and the networking, I meet somebody that has an amazing solution, right, in this space. And I, I have one in mind right now, that this, this person who created an, an amazing, on his own, in his garage, created an amazing solution for the claims process uh, in the insurance industry. I'm excited that that is not competition. That is another tool that we can use to build this, uh, this community action and to, to get to where we want to go. And I, I think that uh, I'm excited that when I meet all of these people, we can all work together. It's not a question of, of uh, market positioning and of, of who's going to take what share of what revenue and all this. And when you start to think about, about how we can all work together, the pie is big. And, oh, my goodness, the pie is so huge. You know, if you really just want to think about viable businesses and opportunities and markets and, you know, uh, making a buck when you make your business, 
that's going to happen. There's plenty out there. There's no reason to be fighting over a small pile of change, right? Um, unfortunately, the disaster and community resilience space is huge and only getting bigger. The blue economy arena is huge and only getting bigger. Um, so I'm excited to meet the people who have solutions in this space, to hear their ideas, to collaborate with them, and to put in real solutions. Well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Blue Economy Primer. We really appreciate the great work that you and your team at Build SOS are doing, and we'll look forward to staying in touch and being of service if we can as you reach out to the community. Great. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us on the Blue Economy Primer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Please help us spread the word, and be sure to visit our website at www.deepblue.academy where you can find all of our available episodes, access important links and supporting information for each episode, send us your comments and or suggestions for potential guests and topics, get more information about our community engagement initiatives, and join our mailing list, as well as make a much appreciated tax-deductible donation to support our nonprofit education and research mission. Thanks again to the Dan Lucas Memorial Foundation and the Pontchartrain Conservancy for their critical financial and institutional support. Until next time, when we meet again on the ever-expanding horizon of the blue economy.